Well, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 39. As you're turning, let me say one more time how thankful I am that, uh, that you all would invite me here, and, um, all your hospitality and your, your generosity. Janet and I were talking about how dear this congregation is to us last night. And I told her, when I grow up, I won't be just like them. I won't be just like them. And I do not use this word flippantly, especially after Paul's message he just preached. But it is a great honor to me to count you as my friends. And I thank God for you. This morning, I want to uh, I want to do this every time I preach, but I want to be very uh, pointed about this this morning to preach to your heart. I want the Lord to take this message and break our hearts with it so that every one of us here in a few minutes will be so amazed at what our Lord Jesus Christ suffered in order to redeem his people that we come running to him. I don't want to just tell you the technical way that God saves his people. I want us to be amazed at the heart of our Savior, what our friend suffered to redeem his people. That's my prayer this morning. I've titled the message, Christ the Profitable Prisoner. I want us to see Joseph as a picture of Christ, the profitable prisoner. I have three points that I want to use to draw this picture. The first one is this. The Lord Jesus Christ became a prisoner, even though he never sinned. Verse 7, Genesis chapter 39 and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now Joseph says if he commits adultery with Potiphar's wife, now he'd hurt his master, but his sin would be against God. Now that's us. Our sin harms other people. But our sin is against God. It's an affront to God. David said against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David's sin hurt a lot of people, didn't it? But his sin was against God. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And I point this out because I want us to have some concept of how shameful our sin is. We've sinned against God. God, who has never done anything but good. He's given us everything we have. Everything God does is right and holy and good, yet 
All we do, everything we do, is sin against him. Everything. I also point out that our sin against God is against God. So we'll be amazed at God's salvation. Our sin is against the holy, eternal, infinite God. We have a debt. We have a debt. Our sin has created a debt to God that we can't pay. So you know what God did? Now, the debt's owed to him. But you know what he did? He came and paid the debt for his people. The debt's owed to him. And he's the one who paid it. And he didn't just get out his wallet and get out a few hundred-dollar bills to pay the debt. He condemned his own son in the place of his people so that they'd be redeemed. He required the blood of his own son to pay the debt that's against him. Can you think of anybody you'd kill one of your children for? I can't. God did. God did. Our sin has offended God. It's offend, it offends his holy character. See so you know what God did? He took the sin of his people away from them, put it on his son, so that debt would be paid, so that their sin would be taken away and they'd be made holy and righteous and accepted in his presence. Now, that's amazing. It's amazing that Almighty God would do that for people who've sinned against him. All of our sin is directly against God, yet he paid the debt. Yet he's the one that, that took it away. And as a man, the Lord Jesus refused to sin against his father. The father had put in his son's hand. He entrusted to him all of his glory in the redemption of of his people and his son refused to sin against the father he was determined to honor and glorify his father and do the work and finish the work that the father sent him to do well read on verse 10 and it came to pass as she spake to joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her this was not just a one-time thing potiphar's wife tempted joseph every day Day after day after day, this thing went on. Yet Joseph still refused to sin against God or to harm his master. That's such a good picture of our sinless Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in all points, just like we are, yet without sin. Every single time you and I are ever tempted, we fail. Every single time. Our Lord was tempted. He was tested every second of his earthly ministry, every second of it. And he never failed once. He never sinned one time in thought, in word, or in deed. The Lord Jesus Christ is the sinless, holy Savior of sinners. What a, what a, what a man. What a Savior. Brady's uncle, Aaron, uses this word. He, he would talk about some, some sports player, and Uncle Aaron would say, he's a specimen. <laughs> You've heard him say that, haven't you? What a specimen. 
our Savior is. Holy, sinless, undefiled, who came to be friends of sinners, the friend of sinners. Isn't that amazing? Well, he's the sinless Savior. Here's the second point. The sinless Savior still became a prisoner to God's justice. We see that in a picture beginning in verse 11. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, that there was none of the men of the house there within, and she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, they left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought, up, brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. Now Joseph didn't do anything wrong. Yet he became a prisoner. He was condemned and thrown into prison. And he was put in prison, Moses says, where the king's prisoners were bound. That had to be the worst part of the prison, don't you reckon? These people in the, this part, they didn't commit some ordinary common crime. They committed some crime against the king. And I'm just sure the conditions in that part of the jail were worse, don't you reckon? This is where the king's prisoners were kept. Now, this is such a good picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's the sinless Savior. He was falsely accused. He did no sin. He knew no sin. He wasn't even acquainted with sin. There was never any guile found in his mouth. Yet he was condemned to death for sin. Even though every accusation was a false one. Look back at or look over at Matthew chapter 26. Here's the part of the mock trial of the Lord. Matthew 26 verse 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now as all these false witnesses came and it says they found none, what it means is they couldn't find anybody telling the same lie. They found many people willing to come lie on, on the Lord. And the Pharisees knew, they knew this man didn't do anything wrong. They knew it. That's why they sought false witnesses. They couldn't find anybody telling the same lie. See, they all knew all these accusations against the Lord were a lie, but their problem is, if they're going to make this thing look legal, they got to find somebody telling the same lie <laughs> by the mouth of two or three witnesses. And they couldn't do it. Now, again, this just shows the wickedness of our sin nature. 
Let's, let's, let's remember these folks here that were living here 2,000 years ago, they got the same nature we do. This is the wickedness of our sin nature. It was so easy for them to find people to lie on a sinless man. Isn't that something? That's our nature. That's our nature. How easy it is to find people who are willing to lie on God. Read on, verse 62. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you've heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered and said, He's guilty of death. Now the one accusation that stuck against the Savior was, He said he's God. And that one was true, wasn't it? That one was true. It wasn't a false accusation. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, is God. It's not like he's God. He's not God 2.0. He's not God light. He is God. And he humbled himself. He humiliated himself to be clothed in human flesh. He became a real man. God did that. Now, I love to think about this because it's such comfort and assurance to my heart. Jesus of Nazareth is God. He's as fully God as God the Father is God. And I love to think about that because the Savior that I trust is God. Well, Jeff, if he's God, he can't fail. (laughs) If he's God, my salvation, sure. And here's another window into how wretched and sinful our nature is. They hated the Lord Jesus Christ as God. No, they didn't hate him as a a healer. They didn't hate him as a miracle worker. Somebody could give him a free lunch. They didn't hate him. They hated him as God. Because if he's God, we better get busy bound to him. He's God over us. And this is our nature now. Man hates Jesus to be sovereign over them. The fact that God is sovereign means this. Here's right where the rubber meets the road. We're in his hand to do with as he pleases. And not one thing we can say about it. Not one. Whatever he does with us is right. He's going to make it right. If he damns us, he'll be right. And will not be able to say he did wrong. And if by his mercy and by his grace he saves us, he made it right to do it. Now man hates that. And rather than begging for mercy, you know what man says? Rather than begging for mercy, man says, let's put him to death in the harshest, cruelest, most painful, most humiliating way we can. That's the nature of man, and that's our nature. That's our, I always want to be very, very careful when we talk about the nature of man now 
when we talk about the sinfulness and hatefulness and vileness and deadness of men, it's not everybody outside these four walls. It's us. Now it's us. That's our nature. Yet Christ died for us anyway. Are you just awestruck to think of that? Look over at John chapter 18. John 18. Verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early. And they themselves went out into the judgment hall, <laughs> lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we wouldn't have brought him and delivered him up unto thee. <laughs> Here's what they're saying. Now, let's not, let's not get any too specific here. Let's not examine our false witnesses you know, you know, too closely. You just trust us. If he wasn't a malefactor, we wouldn't have brought him to you and put him to death. That's all you need to know. And notice how they're doing this. They condemned the Lord of glory to death wrapping themselves in religion. Oh, I can't go in there that I might defile myself. Like I'm already not defiled. <laughs> I know you can't say one sin's worse than another. But religious hypocrisy, <laughs> can you think of anything more offensive than that? Religious hypocrisy. Now, that's our nature. Oh, I want to avoid religious hypocrisy. I want to avoid putting on a false front in front of you. I want us to get down the dust together <laughs> and worship God together, beg him for mercy together. But our nature is self-righteous, religious hypocrisy. Oh, I'm so much better than everybody else. Yet the Lord died for those people anyway. Now here's another way that Joseph is a good picture of Christ our Savior. It's never one time recorded in Scripture that Joseph opened his mouth and defended himself against this false charge. Now, it wouldn't surprise me that he did. I mean, it seems like he had a very good relationship with Potiphar. It wouldn't surprise me to find out. Joseph told Potiphar, Master, I didn't do this. It wouldn't surprise me, you know, that he said that. But you know why it's not recorded in Scripture? To give us a picture of Christ. To give us a picture of our Savior who never one time opened his mouth against those false charges. Now, he did tell the scribes and Pharisees, he did tell Pilate, I'm king. No, I'm king. You're right about that. I'm king. I'm God. But he never one time opened his mouth to defend himself against all those false charges. He fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Well, that brings me to the, my third point. 
in all of salvation, Christ is the doer of it. That's, that, that's pretty much the, uh, the sum and the theme of every message we've heard this weekend, isn't it? In all of salvation, Christ is the doer of it. Verse 21 of Genesis chapter 39. Joseph was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph, Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Now I'll tell you, Joseph something else. He just keeps making life better for all of his bosses, doesn't he? He made life better for his father when he kept his father's sheep. He made life better for Potiphar. And now he's making life better for the warden of the prison. Joseph just keeps doing all their jobs for them, making life easier for them, you know. Potiphar turned everything over to Joseph. He didn't even know what was in the house. Never bothered auditing it. Joseph was in charge. I don't have to worry about it. Now the jailer does the same thing. He committed all the prisoners to a prisoner. To a prisoner. Now I'm sure that what this means is in, in day-to-day activity that Joseph ran to prison. I'm sure he made sure the prisoners didn't escape. He probably, you know, supervised when it was feeding time and so forth. Uh, the king's prisoners probably didn't get any exercise time or something. You know, but if they did, Joseph was in charge of it. Joseph made sure all the prisoners kept themselves in check and everything, you know, was running okay. There's a man at Hurricane Road, Gary Holback. Gary worked 30 years as a guard in the Ohio State Penitentiary. And I asked him, I knew the answer, but just to be sure, I asked him. I said, Gary, did you ever give the keys to that place to a prisoner? <laughs> and he laughed and said, no. <laughs> they did Joseph. They did Joseph. Now, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that's what Joseph was doing day to day in the prison. But do you know that's not what the scripture actually says, is it? It says, whatever they did there in the prison... Joseph was the doer of it. Now here's the glorious, glorious picture. This takes all the pressure off the sinner. In all of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ is the doer of it. He does it all. He's done it all. There's nothing left to do. There's nothing left to do but rest. Christ by himself has done all the work of the salvation of his people. Now let me go back for just a minute. Remember I was talking about how the Lord Jesus never defended himself against those false charges. Hang on to your seat. You know why he didn't? Because Danny, he was guilty. That's why he didn't open his mouth. The father made him sin for his people. And when he did that, those accusations quit being false and started being true. Christ became the doer of them. Now listen to me very, very carefully. (laughs) 
I want this crystal clear in our minds. Brother Marvin covered it Friday night. I'm going to cover it again. When the Lord Jesus Christ was made sin, he was not made a sinner. Nobody's saying that. Nobody is saying that. The Savior never committed any sin. Never. The Scripture says he was made sin. He was made sin itself. This accusation about saying Christ was made a sinner must be going way back there. I suspect from, from what he wrote, uh, Dr. Gill faced the same accusation. And I always operate under the assumption Dr. Gill knows more than me. And this is what he said about this Christ being made sin. He said Christ was not made a sinner. And he just stressed he's not made a sinner. Dr. Gill says he's made something worse. He was made sin itself. So our Savior, he didn't have any sinful thoughts. He didn't have any sinful actions. He didn't have any sinful desires. But he had been made sin. Now, can I explain that? <laughs> Not in your wildest imagination can I explain that. But I know this. It's true. Because God did it. Whether I understand it or not. I mean, I don't understand how God spoke the world into existence, but he did. I mean, I don't have to understand it to make it so. Look at Psalm 40. Now, again, now, I want you to understand, I'm not just, I'm not trying to, to, to prove a point here, to prove a doctrinal point, and, you know, that makes us, uh, you know, different from other folks. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to preach to your heart. This is the heart of the Savior, what he was willing to endure and suffer for his people. Psalm 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. You digged, you digged them as the, the bond slave. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Now, there's not one person here that mistakes who's, who's speaking, is it? This is Christ speaking. We know so from, from other scriptures. This is Christ speaking. Look what else he said, verse 12. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. Now, the Savior didn't say the iniquity of my people has taken hold upon me. He didn't say Paul's sin. Paul's iniquity has taken hold upon me. He said, mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. He said, I'm not able to look up. Why wasn't he able to look up? He's ashamed. He's ashamed. The Holy Son of God had been made guilty. He was ashamed so that he couldn't look his father in the face. You know, if the Savior would have said, the iniquity of my people has, has taken hold upon me and I'm going to suffer and die for them, there'd be no guilt. But there'd be, there'd be nothing separating him and his father. If that, if that was the case, something separating him and his father. You know what it is? The sin of his people has made his sin. It's his sin. Look at Psalm 69. Verse 4. 
They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. Now, no question, anybody's mind who's speaking here isn't. It's Christ the Savior speaking. Look what he says in verse 5. O God, not O my Father, O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. Now again, he didn't say, Father, you know the foolishness and the sin of my people. This is Frank's foolishness. No, he said my foolishness. My sin. I'm preaching to your heart here. I'm wanting to. You think what the Holy Son of God willingly endured. We can't imagine how horrible this is. Because all we know is sin. We don't know anything else. He who knew no sin willingly made himself sin for his people. He willingly became guilty of the sin of his people. Not just legally. No, this wasn't just a legal paper transaction. Literally, he was numbered with the transgressors. And it has to be this way. If God's going to save his people in mercy and truth, it has to be this way. Everybody knows that God's holy and just. right? Everybody knows that. If the Father put an innocent man to death at Calvary, he's unjust. Is that right? That's why the Father didn't put an innocent man to death at Calvary. He put a guilty man to death. He put a guilty man to death because Christ had been made guilty of the sin of his people. In that way, even though he never committed a sin, in that way, Christ became the doer of the sin of his people. He took the sin of his people away from them and made it his. He took it into his own body upon the tree so that by his sacrifice, he could put that sin away forever. Now, that's good news. That's good news. I said all that so we understand this. The only way salvation is just is if God put a guilty man to death on that middle cross. The only way God can be merciful to sinners like you and me is if he put a guilty man to death. And he did. So that he could show mercy to the likes of us. Isn't that amazing? I mean, does that just grip your heart? I hope we never talk about the suffering and the sacrifice and the blood of Christ in a forensic, you know, kind of, I don't know what the right word is, just clean and like a laboratory-like thing. You know, this is just a bunch of points of doctrine. This should grip our heart. He suffered to put our sin away, not just physically, but to be made sin. I mean, I I say it again. You and I cannot grasp how horrible that was for him. So now, Christ is the doer of all of the salvation of his people. He became the doer of their sin so he could make them righteous. 
That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 is all about. Christ is the doer of our righteousness. He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous, made the righteousness of God in him. The Lord Jesus Christ was made what he was not, so you and I could be made what we're not, righteous. He did it. He's the doer of our righteousness. When Christ obeyed the law, so did his people because they were in him. You and I sinned in Adam. Every believer kept the law perfectly in Christ, the second Adam, our second representative. He's the doer of our righteousness, isn't he? Now, if the Son of God is our righteousness, Mike, we're righteous. And we can never be unrighteous again. Christ is the doer of our holiness. We don't make ourselves holy by starting to sin less. Christ is our holiness. He personally is our holiness. He has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, holiness, and redemption. And everybody who believes on Christ is holy because he's our holiness. Christ is the doer of our forgiveness. If your sin is forgiven, Christ is the doer of it. It's because he suffered and died in your place. Sin can only be forgiven if there's bloodshed. Perfect, holy, sinless blood. And Christ shed that blood to put away the sin of his people. I'm preaching to your heart here. That is a far greater blessing than even those of us who know and love Christ usually think it to be. David said, blessed, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Covered in what? The blood of God. Oh, what a blessing. Christ is the doer of our cleansing from the filth of our sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Christ is the doer of our preserving. 1 Peter 1, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. If we're preserved to the end, if we keep trusting Christ to the end, why do we do it? Well, it's because I studied a lot, and I, I, was, I was a little sturdier, a little stronger than everybody else. No, sir. <laughs> Kept by the power of God. He's going to keep his people. And one day real soon, our Savior's going to come and take us out of these bodies of sin and glorify us together with him. And next time you have a, a loved one, well, loved one, whether they, whether they believe Christ or not, whether they know Christ or not, this is true, but I'm speaking here of a, of a believer. You have a loved one who's a believer. Maybe you'll watch them suffer for a while. Maybe you will. You'll watch them decline. Maybe you'll be there to see them take their last breath. 
Now, you're going to miss them. That's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. You're going to miss them. You're going to miss them a long time. I I have a dear friend whose wife died many years ago. Gosh, it has to be 25 years ago now. And this is what he told me. 25 years. He choked up and he said, when it quits hurting, I'll let you know. (laughs) Now you're going to miss them. You're going to miss them. But you remember this when that happens. You know why that loved one, why their body died? Because Christ our Savior is the doer of it. In his great high priestly prayer, this is what he said. Father, I will. You and I can't pray like that. He did. Father, I will that all those whom you have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. When one of our loved ones leaves this earth, you know where they went? To behold the glory of the Savior (laughs) because he's the doer of it. Now, if the Lord Jesus Christ became a prisoner for you, he took your place. He's the doer of your salvation. And if the Son of God is the doer of your salvation, I want to tell you, you're saved. (laughs) You're completely, utterly saved. Not one thing you can do to add to it. Not one thing you can do to make it better. You're completely, utterly saved in Him because He's the doer of it. Now, I want to end where I began. How I pray the Lord makes this picture of our Savior grip our heart. Now, what's left for you and me to do? Run to Him. (laughs) Run to Him. Don't delay. Run to Him. I was, uh, some years ago, introducing Brother Don Fortner. He's getting ready to preach at a conference of ours. And uh, maybe it was a Wednesday night, I don't know, but anyway, Big Don sitting back here behind me. I was introducing him. I said, you know, one of the things I love about Brother Don's preaching is I can tell when he's preaching. He wants me to come to Christ. That big booming voice behind me said, I want you to come right now. (laughs) That's what I'm telling you and me. Right now, right now, come to Christ.